Greetings, listeners. Welcome back to the Boggle Thief. Now, a quick recap. If you remember, we finished Chapter 9 with Alex and Lola finding a mysterious secret passage. But where would it lead? We will have to wait to find out. Because we pick up now with Chapter 10, where we pick up with a certain miniature pirate and his pancake friend. Chapter 10 the evil plan. Peter, old bean, this has been the most splendid trip. You've been the most wonderful guide, said the captain to Mad Pete the pirate as they walked across the queaky, squeaky, eeky bridge and back towards Badger's Bottom. Arr, that it has, said Pete. And now it's time to return home to the playhouse for a game of backgammon and a bottle of rum. We'll take a shortcut through the back of number two Badger's Bottom and pick up a bit of apple on the way. I think my highlight of the trip was the Devil's Ditch, said the captain, musing to himself. There is something oddly mystical and magical about it. I can't quite put my finger on it, although those piranha did give me a bit of a shock. They nearly took my hat off. Ha <laughs> ha! It was good to meet some folk like me too. Burger and bun were great fun. Pete paused. Did you hear something? He said with a curious feeling that they were being watched. Here's something, not a bean, old bean, only the rumbling of my tummy. I'm so hungry I could eat myself, said the tasty pancake. But they were being watched, and they were about to walk into a trap. Number two, Badger's Bottom, was owned by Mary Jerry, real name Geraldine Dean. Her garden was a small orchard with half a dozen apple trees and one plum tree. She was famous throughout the boggles for her apple pies, apple tarts and apple crumbles, and most of all, her wickedly strong apple cider, some of which she always had in her bag in a thermos flask for emergencies. But don't touch her plum pies. They weren't famous. They were infamous. Infamous for being absolutely disgusting. The plums just didn't go well with the other ingredients, particularly the mustard and tomato juice. Mary Jerry, they thought they were delicious, but she was a bit bonkers, or possibly just drunk. The captain and Mad Pete looked both ways to check there were no pets or humans in the garden and began walking merrily, slaloming in between the fallen apples. Then the captain spotted something and heard a dull moan coming from the long grass. It was a bruised and battered banana, and it was in trouble. It was clearly hurt and needed help. "'I see you, comrade!' shouted the captain. "'Help is here! We're on our way! Got to stick together, us lot, eh?' I've seen a lot of weird stuff in my time, said Mad Pete, but an injured banana takes the biscuit. Or at least it beats that sobbing half-eaten biscuit we bumped into last week. To be fair, Mad Pete hadn't stumbled across Brian the Biscuit at the best time. The normally happy-go-lucky Rich T had decided he wanted to be a professional swimmer, but his dreams were crushed when a passing tea bag told him he would turn to mush if he got wet. Something's not right, said Pete. Let's grab a couple of those nice plums and get going. Let's pretend we haven't seen anything. Pete turned around and started walking towards the plum tree at the bottom of the garden. Nonsense, old bean! I must assist a fellow foodie folk fella thing or whatever you want to call chaps like us. We need to stick together. The captain strode towards the stricken banana. As he got closer, the captain saw that the banana had a split up its side and the look of pain and anguish across his face appeared to change to a smirk and then a grin. But not a happy grin. An evil grin, like a real-life baddie whose evil, dastly plan was about to work and who was about to take over the world. 
and it was. Well, not the taking over the world part, he is just a banana, but the plan was, well, going to plan, as the captain, thinking he was stepping onto a fallen leaf atop firm orchard ground, found himself tumbling forward and then down, down to Chinatown. Well, not really to Chinatown, that just rhymed. Basically, he fell into a freshly dug hole and he couldn't get out. He was trapped. Splits the evil banana let out a cackle. Here, I told you it would work, me old muckers. Come and see, we got him. From behind an apple tree stepped two figures. The captain couldn't see them, but Mad Pete could. Not more of the little blighters, Pete said to himself, as he saw what looked like half a lemon and a mouldy bit of broccoli walk towards where the captain lay captured. The lemon leaned over the hole in which the captain had fallen and spat a pip at the bewildered pancake. The captain had a flashback to those first seconds of his mortal existence, his awakening. Yes, he thought. Yes, I remember you. I remember you, old chap. You're the one I saw back at the compost heap. Whatever is going on here, what have I possibly done to deserve such ill-mannered behaviour? It's just not cricket. Oi, shut it, posh pancake said Mr Broccoli. What have you done? What have you done to deserve this? It's obvious, isn't it? The healthy superfood paused. Uh, help me out here, chaps. Remind me again why we hate the pancake. Because, said the snarling lemon face, pancakes need taking down a peg or two. They're so arrogant, always looking down on us lemons like we're second-class citizens. Just because they have a whole day named after them, they think they're the bee's knees. I've got to be on form for pancake day, they say. I've got to bring the happiness, they say. Well, a pancake is nothing by itself. Just egg, flour and milk. A tasteless, useless, plain, boring, savoury snack like bread without butter, crackers without cheese or porridge without gravy. But add a bit of lemon and some sugar or some chocolate and banana and it becomes a heavenly treat. But do we get any credit? Is there a lemon day, a banana day, a chocolate day? I think not. Well, there is Easter, chirped Mr Broccoli. That's a bit like a chocolate day. Be quiet, numbskull. I haven't finished my monologue. Now where was I? Yes, us lemons are used and abused all year long. A slice and a fizzy drink here, a squeeze on some salmon there, some zest grated into a cake. Grated? Tortured more like. We're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Well, I can't stand it any longer. I will no longer be second best. This is my village now, and I'm the boss, and there ain't no room for no pancakes. I will not rest until you are defeated, which you clearly are now, so it looks like I'll be putting my feet up in a cosy hammock tonight and having a lovely restful sleep. Hang on, I thought I was the boss, said Splits. No, you're not, I am snarled Lemonface. And don't get me started on banana bread and banoffee pie or you'll be next, punk. Uh, yes, chief, said the chasing banana, taking a backward step. Whatever, said Mr Broccoli. I'm not bothered about any of that stuff. All I care about is being bad. I want to be a baddie so badly and do bad things. And right now, all I want to do is feed this pancake to the rhino. Please let me feed him to the rhino. Yes, my psychotic superfoodie friend, you can feed him to whoever you like as long as it is slow and painful. <laughs> laughed Lemonface evilly. You leave him alone, said Mad Pete, stepping out from behind an apple and wiping plum juice from his chin. 
he puffed his chest out so he reached his full two inches in height. You leave him alone and he won't get hurt. You can walk away now and we'll pretend this never happened, eh? Pete said bravely and perhaps a little foolishly. What are you going to do about it, pirate boy? said Splits, who was over three times his size. There's three of us and only one of you. Beat it before I turn you into a pirate piñata and see if any sweets come out of your butt when I give you a good whacking. Wrong. There are two of us, said Pete. I wasn't counting the pancake dimwit, shouted Splits. He's down a hole. He's about as helpful to you as a rotten apple. He wasn't talking about the pancake, came a voice from behind the bruised banana. And I'm not rotten. I'm Apple Man. From behind the three dastly doers stood a glorious green Granny Smith, only with little apple legs and little apple arms and, well, you get the picture. He was unmarked except for one little bite mark on his bottom and a hole that looked like it might have once been home to a maggot. But there was no longer a maggot in there. But there was one in his hand. Take this, he shouted, throwing the maggot at Splits. Dipping his little hand into what was probably once his little apple cousin, now brown and crushed and rotting into the earth, he picked up another maggot and another, launching them at the food baddies. Well, there's nothing that food fears more than maggots, and Lemonface, Splits and Mr Broccoli were quickly in retreat, hiding behind another apple tree. It was a standoff. Well, for about 17 seconds it was. Not knowing what else to do, and knowing it may put them all in peril, Mad Pete gambled. He liked to gamble, especially on the horses. But here, right now, there were no horses. So he put his fingers in his mouth and whistled with all his might. And then he whistled again. For a two-inch pirate, it was a hell of a whistle, high and shrill. It was a corker. But to the ears of a fully grown human, it was barely audible. Joe would not be able to hear. But the whistle wasn't meant for Joe, or Alex, or any other human. It was meant for someone else entirely, someone unpredictable, a loose cannon. But would he hear? He did. About 13.6 seconds later, there was a rustling in the hedge, and then some more rustling, and the hedge exploded as a great big slobber pup called Ted came crashing through. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, apples, 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 so many apples. I'm going to do good puking up later, that is for sure. The slobber pup thought as he ran around the garden, gobbling as he went, and then he stopped in his tracks. He smelt something else, and it wasn't a squirrel. Banana, he thought, with a hint of broccoli. Gimme, 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 gimme. His doggy mind in full overload mode was whirring and off he went with his nose pressed against the ground, following the scent until he saw his prey. Bingo. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Run, lads, said Splits as the bad food gone bad ran for the safety of the wooden fence at the bottom of the orchard. They dived under the bottom wooden beam just in the nick of time as Ted's jaws snapped shut, biting into thin air. Darn it, thought Ted momentarily. Oh well, back to the apples before that drunk old lady shoes me off again. And off he skipped, slobbing as he went, do some quality apple gobbling and make himself feel sick. Lemonface got up and dusted himself down. Until next time, Pancake Man, you may have won this battle, but I will win the war. And off he scuttled with Splits and Mr Broccoli into a bush to regroup and come up with Plan B. Meanwhile, Mad Pete and Apple Man had helped the captain out of his hole and had taken shelter within a rotten tree trunk until the slobber pup wandered back to number four with a sore belly to puke up over Mama G's kitchen floor. And that, listeners, is where we end chapter 10. But before we move on to chapter 11, I have just thought of a joke. Why are bananas never lonely? Because they hang around in bunches. Get it? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I'm so funny. Bananas, bunches, get it? Oh, I'm not getting paid enough for this. In fact, I'm not sure I'm getting paid at all. Never mind. Onwards and Upwards, Chapter 11, The Secret Passageway. Come on, Alex, said Lola. Let's go. Alex hesitated. Alex was brave, but the passage was dark, and he didn't know where it went and what lay in store. Lola grabbed him by the hand. Trust me, she said. We need to clear your name, and that means finding the boggle thief. Okay, said Alex. Let's do this. The tunnel was pitch black, but as they stepped past the bookcase into the darkness, there was another click and a soft whirring noise, and then there was light illuminating the path. It was going downwards, underground. Dull lights every 20 metres or so lit up, giving off just enough of a glow that Alex and Lola could see where they were going. Alex immediately noticed that the tunnel wasn't damp and stuffy as he expected. In fact, it was dry and well ventilated. A cool, gentle breeze swept past his face. There must be another opening, he thought. Alex noticed some movement and hesitated, his senses on high alert. Before realising it was just a fly buzzing around the dim light ahead, he'd seen a few spiders too. Alex hated spiders. At least we're not in Australia, he thought. Some of the spiders there were blooming enormous, big enough to eat a crocodile. Alex wasn't sure if he was getting spiders confused with snakes. He didn't like snakes either. As Alex and Lola slowly tiptoed along the passageway, their confidence grew as their eyes adjusted to the light. They began walking faster and the tunnel turned into a slow jog. The tunnel wasn't straight and they could not see what fate lay ahead. It bent round to the left and they were somewhere underground now, but they could see a light up ahead and as they approached the bend, their jog slowed to a cautious walk. They were on their guard and ready to run back to the safety of the house if danger awaited. But there wasn't danger. What they found was a room lit in a hazy orange light, brighter than the tunnel. The room was in the shape of an octagon, with eight tunnels leading from each of its eight sides. There was also a ladder to a hatch in the roof, and Alex noticed what looked like some sort of trapdoor on the floor. Watch out, he whispered to Lola, pointing at the trapdoor. In the middle of the room was a large circular wooden table made out of solid oak that looked and smelled like it was hundreds of years old. There were eight throne-like wooden chairs around the table, and that was when Lola noticed the plaque. On the far side of the room, hanging on the wall, was a dusty piece of dark, coloured wood, and in the wood, in what seemed like the finest craftsmanship Alex had ever seen, were the words, Bertie's Ministry of Mischief, and underneath, in smaller writing, it said, Where mayhem is made. What on earth is this place? Alex thought. What on earth is this place? said a voice. Hang on thought Alex. I only thought that. I'm sure I didn't say it out loud, and my voice doesn't sound like that either. What is this? Some sort of mysterious magic? Alex thought again, making sure he was definitely only thinking at this time, and firmly pressing his lips together to ensure no words came out. But it wasn't magic. It was... Jenny! said Lola. What are you doing here? I followed you, gasped Jenny, catching her breath. I saw you go into the house and came looking for you. When I saw the open bookcase, I assumed you came this way and ran after you. I was worried. PC useless and your pops was not far behind, so I closed that bookcase door behind me so they couldn't follow us. I hope there's a way out. It looks like there might be several ways out, Alex said, pointing towards the various passageways. What is this place? Jenny said again. I don't like it and I'm a bit scared. Bertie's Ministry of Mischief, apparently, said Alex, pointing to the plaque. Whatever that is, we've no idea where the passageways lead. There's only one way to find out. Let's take a tunnel each and meet back here in ten minutes. Set your watches. And they did. 
Alex ran along his passage, dimly lit like the others, and quickly found that his tunnel seemed to come up to a dead end. Only he could see some daylight peeping through some cracks. As he got closer, he saw that the end of the tunnel wasn't a solid wall, but a wall of ivy, and as he pushed through it, he came out in the far corner of the church graveyard. Interesting, he said to himself. A good gateway for anyone wanting to steal from the church. Having seen all he needed to, he checked his watch and ran back to the Ministry of Mischief. Jenny took longer to get to her destination and only just made it back to the mischief room before her stopwatch went beep to signal ten minutes. We're up. She found herself in a dark, dusty storeroom. She had looked around and saw all sorts of cleaning equipment, sports equipment, much of which said property of St Cuthbert's Primary School, Jenny and Alex's school. Jenny thought she must have been in the storeroom just next to the Ox's office. Lola had ended up in a dark corner of what was clearly a pub cellar, and having taken a few steps up the stairs and peered through a crack in the open doorway, she could see into the dining room area of the duck and cover pub. So let's recap, said Alex. So far we have the church, where some candlesticks went missing, the school, which lost a naughty step, and some of the ox's sweet treats, and the duck and cover, which had a load of fizzy pop nicked. This can't be coincidence. The thief must be using the tunnels. But where did the other four go? Let's take another one each, said Jenny excitedly. Her nerves had gone now and she wasn't scared anymore. She was enjoying herself. This was an adventure like from off of the movies and all that was needed now was to find some old pirate's buried treasure and they would be rich forevermore. Once again they took another passageway each and agreed to meet back in another ten minutes. Jenny ran straight for six minutes without stopping before she came to the end of the passageway. There wasn't a door or a ladder, just a hole. A hole just about big enough to crawl through. And crawl through it Jenny did, pushing through leaves and twigs as she found herself in the middle of a bush. Well, this is a bit of a disappointment, thought Jenny. Not much to see here. She pushed her head towards the edge of the bush to see what she could see. There were trees, lots of them. I think I'm in the forgetful forest, Jenny thought. And then something caught her eye. There was movement. But was it a bird? Was it a plane? No, it was Superman! (laughs) Not really. This isn't a comic book story. It wasn't Superman. He was on holiday drinking cocktails and playing kaplunk with Lewis Lane. It was a rhinoceros, a small rhinoceros, like a fully grown rhino, only one-fifth its size. OMG, thought Jenny, someone's been going around shrinking rhino. That is not cool. But then Jenny saw that through the trees came two more fully grown rhino, and the smaller rhino ran to them. OMG, said Jenny again, it's a baby rhino, and that must be its parents. A new rhino in town? That is big news. The Boggleville Herald will want to hear about this. Maybe I can sell my story for £5 on a packet of Watsits. That's weird, though, said Jenny, wondering why she was talking to herself like a crazy person. She could now see that between the two grown-up rhino was another baby rhino. Only this one looks a bit more like a goat. Hold the phone, Jenny said out loud. It is a goat, and it's got a stripe down each side. It's the great Mahoo's goat, Big Ron. The goat that thinks it's a zebra. Although now it seems to think it's a rhino. Boom! I can't wait to tell the others. And then Jenny noticed that the movement had stopped and the rhino and Big Ron, who thought he was a rhino, were staring at her bush as if he were saying, we've been rumbled by a nosy park and we're going to stomp on her to teach her some manners. OMG! Jenny said out loud for a third time. My cover is blown. I'm out of here. See you later, alligators. Jenny dived back down into the hole and ran back to meet the others. But where Alex turned up was the strangest of all. Like Jenny, he came out in a bush and had to push his way through leaves and branches. But what was strange was where that bush was. He was looking at the back garden of number four Badger's Bottom. His garden. He was just about ten metres away from the treehouse that he and Jenny had built. How have I never spotted this before, he thought. 
he looked into the garden and could see the door to the shed was open. Alex hadn't been in the shed for ages. It had become Joe's shed, and no one else dared go in there except for Mad Pete the Pirate for fear of a nuclear meltdown from his little bro. But Alex wasn't prepared for what he was about to find. It wasn't a dusty shed, like it used to be, and like most people have. This was clean and neat and very tidy, with reinforced metal and wires coming out of the roof and the side. What on earth is Joe up to in here? he said out loud. But then Alex stopped in his tracks. He recognised him immediately. In a small makeshift cage in the corner of the shed was a white bunny rabbit with black ears. It was Bugsy. Oh no, thought Alex. Joe is the boggle thief. Lola had a shorter run and within a couple of minutes found herself at a dead end with a ladder leading to a circular hatch. She climbed the ladder but could find no handles so she tried to push the hatch upwards and she could feel some movement. It was a bit like a manhole cover only not quite as heavy and she pushed harder and this time she could see daylight. She managed to push the cover to the side slightly while she regained her breath and her balance. She then pushed the cover sideways inch by inch until there was enough space for her to climb through and she pulled herself up onto the concrete surface above. As she got to her feet she noticed something small and pink on the ground by the entrance to the hole. That looks like a broken nail, she thought. I wonder what that's doing here. Lola was behind a garage in some sort of car park. She was disoriented and didn't know where she was. She heard laughter and talking and she slowly moved round the perimeter of the garage, being careful not to be seen. She saw the source of the noise. It was the beer garden of the Golden Piranha, which she could now see over the fence next door. Some of the folk from the fete had obviously made their way to the pub after the excitement of the cricket match and the food fight. I caught one of Mary Jerry's legendary apple pies, boasted Hor Horace Youngfellow. It was delicious, and I didn't even have to pay for it. Dwayne Dismal over there wasn't so lucky. He took about ten cream pies to the face. Pie face will have to call him now. Ha <laughs> ha! Horace said, laughing at his own joke. How are you getting on, pie face? Still got a bit behind the ear? Dwayne Dismal wasn't amused. Lola was distracted by some movement to her right. She ducked down behind a car. If that was the golden piranha next door, then this must be the premises of the Bogglefield Herald, the local newspaper. Lola could see movement in the newspaper offices, which should have been shut on a Saturday. She crouched down and ran up to the side of the building, ducking down beneath the window so she couldn't be seen by the intruder, who she could see was wearing a balaclava to hide their face. It must be the boggle thief, she thought. Lola slowly moved herself upwards so her eyes were above the window ledge and she could see what was going on inside the building. The intruder was making a mess, pulling things from drawers and overturning chairs and then putting something in their bag, a bulging bag. Lola couldn't be sure, but was that the handle of a trophy she could see popping out of the top of the bag? It could be, she thought. It just could be. And then the door opened and the intruder walked out towards the red Ford Fiesta parked outside. The intruder opened the boot and threw the bag inside before shutting it and going back into the office. This really could be the boggle thief, Lola looked at the car. Remember the registration, she told herself, and she repeated it to herself five times. VB0, NE5, VB0, NE5. It was locked in. Looking at her watch, Lola saw that it had been eight minutes since she had left the others. If the boggle thief was using the tunnels, she needed to get back to the others before the thief got there first. Lola stepped out from her cover to make a run for it, just as the intruder turned around. She was sure she had been seen, but she didn't look back to check. She ran. She ran for her life. Back around the garage and through the manhole cover, taking care to pull it back into place as she descended back into the passageway, her eyes adjusting to the dim light. And then she ran. She ran back to the others as fast as she could. 
Back at the Ministry of Mischief, Jenny was excitedly telling Alex what she had found. She was talking so fast, Alex was struggling to understand what she was saying. Something about a goat having a baby rhino that wanted to eat Jenny? Before he could butt in and ask her a question, Jenny asked, Where have you been, A-bomb? Similar to you, Jay, Alex lied. I came out in a bush. No interesting animals, but... Alex paused. But what, Ali Pops? said Jenny curiously. She knew Alex well enough to know he was struggling to tell her something. Well, it was where I came out. It was by our house, our tree house, about ten metres behind it in the thick bushes before you get to the river. No way, dude. A secret passage right next to your house. We never knew it existed. That is super cool. Also super weird. Alex hadn't mentioned Bugsy the rabbit. He couldn't until he'd spoken to Joe. He had to know the truth. He couldn't believe his brother was the boggle thief. Alex was glad that Jenny couldn't see clearly his red face in the dim light. He felt sure she would know he was not telling her everything. Lola's late, said Alex, looking at his watch and trying to change the subject. I hope she's okay. They both looked down the dimly lit passageway that Lola had run up 14 minutes ago. They were looking into a dull, hazy darkness when they heard the sound of feet hitting ground and the sound was getting closer, fast. Within seconds, Lola came into view and she was running as fast as she could. What's up, Lola? Jenny said. Is everything okay? Shh! Lola put her fingers to her lips to signal that they should be quiet, then pulled her two new friends close, panting hard to regain her breath. I've seen the boggle thief. We must be right. They're using the tunnels and... Lola stopped talking and her ears pricked up listening for danger. Do you hear that? Footsteps. We're not safe. The boggle thief is coming this way. I don't think they saw me, but I can't be sure. We've got to get out of here. Now! Lola commanded. There's still one tunnel and we don't know where it goes. Let's go together, Alex said. Follow me. And off they ran. The boggle thief behind them. The unknown darkness in front. And that, dear listeners, is the end of chapter 11. And what a long chapter it was. And this is where it is time to depart once more. But when we return, it will be for the conclusion. Who is the boggle thief? Well, you'll just have to wait and find out. Until next time. See you later, alligators.